And so you know that uh, we are in session next week, uh, December 4th, but then we will be off for the Christmas holidays uh, because I know many of you will travel north. So we'll be off and, and we will resume on January 8th. If you don't have a schedule, get it. The little blue card on the way out, please get it. Also, you can get the yellow card, which is the radio schedule showing you when you can hear what we do on the radio. And as you know, everything that we do here is posted on our website, Garippa Foundation, uh, on Tuesday. You'll be able to hear it. So if you heard something either on what I've done on Sunday uh, or here, two different uh, teaching subjects, you can get it all on Tuesday. So I hope you'll do that. Uh, I am, uh, before we begin the study uh, for this season of the ongoing life of David, God laid on my heart that uh, I should start with a, uh, a section on submission, because in order to serve God, we have to submit to God and what that means. And all of this comes out of my teaching uh, of the difference between salvation and discipleship. Salvation is day one of your life, meaning you're saved by the grace and mercy of God. You had nothing to do with it. You had absolutely nothing that God gave you uh, because of your good works. But because you recognize that you had a desperate need for a Savior, God poured his Spirit on you and saved you forever. That is day one. Day two and the rest of your life involves discipleship, meaning what is your relationship with God? What is your ongoing commitment to God? He saved you for a reason, and he expects you to go out and advance the kingdom of God in this world. And so everything that we're focusing on really now is on day two. I believe that the, the vast majority of the people here are saved. If you're not saved, if you've not made that decision, come up and see me, and we'll, we'll address that and get that done, uh, because you need to do that. But once you're saved, now you can be a disciple, uh, and, and that's where we are, understanding what God wants us to do in terms of discipleship. How do we walk for the rest of our life with God? What does he want us to do and live? How does he want us to live? And so before I continue with David, which I'll do in January, I felt I needed to study submission with you so that you had your, your mind and heart in the right place in order to be prepared to study David. Because one of the things we saw about David is David was a submitted man. The other thing that we see about David is David had a, a tremendous spirit of forgiveness. Who else could be chased for 13 years by Saul, who desperately tried to kill him, and yet at every single opportunity, David would forgive him, would forgive him and pray for him and still honor him as king. What a spirit that is. Uh, and God has laid this on my heart that I needed to be able to teach the subject of forgiveness to you uh, so that you are prepared to be a disciple of Christ. Now, I think it's very appropriate that I start the subject of forgiveness uh, a couple days after Thanksgiving because many of you have spent the Thanksgiving holiday with your family members. <laughs> and I know that many of you have had interesting discussions at the family table. And I'm sure that some of those discussions related to politics, all right, world affairs, uh, possibly even the Bible, 
Uh, and at the end of the, ta- end of the day, many of you have left the Thanksgiving table with angry feelings, all right? Disturbed feelings, not feelings of warmth, all right? Uh, and, and so in some cases, there's bitterness uh, and continuing frustration. God doesn't want you to live your life that way. Uh, and Jesus made it very clear that God does not want us to go through life with ongoing feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment. And Jesus has taught very, very clearly that in order to have the communication that you need with God, you have to forgive everyone that you harbor this to. Everyone. Now, I know that some of you have been hurt very, very badly. Uh, Some of you have been hurt badly by family members. Some of you have had bad experiences with your fathers. Uh, Some of you have had bad experiences with other family members, going back to when you were a young person. And many of us still harbor that anger and resentment. It's like a scab that sits there that has never properly healed. Well, today is the day you're going to get healed. You're going to leave here today knowing that the will of God for your life is that you should be in a spirit of prayer uh, and supplication as it relates to anybody who has ever hurt you. I don't ever want to hear one of you say, well, you know, I have forgiven so-and-so, but I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Let me tell you something, folks. You better, for, you better get into the position where not only have you forgiven, but you're praying for that person. Because if you want to be used for, by God, that becomes a blood clot in your line of communication with God. God is looking for you to have a spirit of openness and forgiveness. So I want to say this to you, that even if some of us have been hurt badly in work, we work for bosses that are, that are ignorant that have treated us badly. And you've heard the story myself I've told you where, where I, I, I had to walk out of the first office that I worked for because I, I, if I stayed five minutes more, I was going to flatten the guy. <laughs> you know, I said to him right flat out, I said, if, I, if, if you say one more word, I'm going to do something to you that I'm going to regret tomorrow. Now, I know that doesn't sound like your typical Bible teacher <laughs> saying that. But I have never represented myself as a typical Bible teacher. (laughs) And so the point is, and I want you to know something. I can honestly say I pray for that man. I pray for him. And I recently saw him when I was up in New Jersey about a month ago, and I embraced him. And he embraced me. And in fact, it got to the point when he was learning about what I was doing with my life, he was so stunned that on his way out, he kissed me. Now, here's the deal. If we were in Umberto's Clam Bar in Brooklyn and I got that kiss, I would be concerned. (laughs) But we were in a suburban restaurant in New Jersey and it was okay. But you understand what I'm telling you about? When God pours his Holy Spirit into you and and he makes it clear to you that you cannot harbor unforgiveness, that he blesses you, and you see people like that, you no longer see them through the film of resentment. In fact, when I see him, I I feel like God used him in order to get me to start my career starting my own firm, that I wouldn't have done that but for that, all right? I see that. And I told you all that I had some horrible experiences 
at the end of my, uh, my time at my dad's church. Terrible things, hurt probably worse there than ever in any other circumstance. And yet, I pray for them. I pray for them. I don't want to see the work that my father's family and grandfather started uh, be hurt. I want, that, I want that to be prosperous. So I've forgiven those people. Why? Because I know that God used that to bring me here. I'm speaking to you today because God used those experiences to bring me here. And so in, in your life, some of the things that have happened to you have happened because God allowed them to happen because he had a greater sense of purpose for you in your life than you did. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, so those hurts, those hurts, you have to look at those hurts in some ways and say, well, God, I know you were speaking to me. I know you were talking to me. And I am prepared, I am prepared, Father, to pray and forgive, to, to allow that pain out of my life. Because if you do not allow this pain out of your life, it is as if you are eating rat poison in order to kill the other person. Does that even make sense? You understand? It doesn't even make sense. You're eating rat poison so that you can hurt somebody else. You are destroying your spiritual life. I'm going to prove to you today through Scripture that in many reasons, in many cases, some of us are not being used by God because we're suffering from a blockage because of a lack of forgiveness. And so this falls into all categories. I don't care if you've come out of a divorce and you harbor bad feelings about your spouse or your children have hurt you or a boss has hurt you or even, and this is the worst, you've been hurt in church. You've been hurt in church. Some church leader did something to you that was, was not right. And I heard of a case even today where something like that happened. And, and what does that mean? It means part of, you know, I always cite the screw tape letters, uh, and that's where uh, Wormwood, the senior demon, upon hearing that his nephew had lost their patient in earth, a human being, to church, the, the young man had left the, the demon and had now joined a church, and the nephew writes to his senior demon, Uncle, oh, Uncle, I failed miserably. My patient has joined a church. And and Wormwood writes back, fear not, dear nephew, we do our best work in church. And when C.S. Lewis wrote that book, it so affected him, so affected him that he said it took a year afterwards to where he felt he had a normal spiritual relationship. It's just that just being in that realm where, where the Holy Spirit revealed to him what it's like to be in the demon realm, what, what we're facing. Uh, and so I, I want to assure you that you have to get through this, this issue of forgiveness. You've got to get through it's today. Today's the, the next day of your life. This is part of day two. You want to be used by God? This is how you're going to be used by God. You have to leave here forgiving everyone who ever hurt you. I don't want anybody to leave here and have some root of bitterness in your life. Today is the day that we move on. And so uh, this obstructs your walk with God. This isn't just a little peccadillo. You understand? This isn't just a little wart. The lack of forgiveness is obstructing your walk with God. Uh, let's look at the words of Jesus as it relates to this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And this is right out of the Beatitudes. Matthew 
We're going to start with verse 21 because Jesus is now showing us uh, how in the spiritual realm, as part uh, of being a Christian, the, the, the odds are raised, the bar is raised for us. God demands so much more from us. Verse 21, Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. How do you like that? All right? Jesus has effectively equated murder with anger, and that murderers are going to be subject to judgment, uh, and those, those who have issues with their brother will be subject to judgment. Now, let me stop right here and make this abundantly clear. This does not mean you will lose your salvation. All right? All the verses that we know that I've studied, that I've given you, indicate that once you're saved, God will hold you in his hand uh, for all eternity. You are saved forever. All right? But this relates to day two. This is why I've, I feel I need to emphasize the day two. So now you want to be a disciple of Jesus. We talked about all those verses relating to taking up your cross, walking with me, giving up your life. This is part of that process. And so if you're angry with a, your brother, there is a judgment. Now, what does that judgment mean? Well, it means, first of all, you're not going to be able to be used by God. That's a judgment. It also means that when you get to the other side, when you're called home, and Jesus runs the videotape of your life, this is going to come up, and, and you will not get rewards. You will not be rewarded uh, because some of these things have been in your life. You understand that God will reward us for the things that we've done for advancing the gospel. Now, you're not losing your salvation. Let me make that clear. But understand again that this is profound. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka, uh, and that would have been a Semitic phrase that would have been very demeaning, okay, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Obviously, there's a translational issue there, but what it is, recognizing the fact that you're speaking in anger to somebody in a very blasphemous, demeaning way, uh, and God holds you, holds you responsible, responsible for that. Verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Whoa. Jesus, what are you telling me? Are you telling me, Lord, that, that even as I come to worship, even as I come to church, even as I come before you, Lord, with a gift to honor you, that you're saying to me, I'm not interested in getting it or speaking to you. I, you put that gift down, you go and find your brother and make it right. This is an astonishing statement of the, the profound need for forgiveness. You think when you hear God saying to you, I'm not interested in your act of worship or in your act of giving, I'm interested in your heart, and I see your heart, and your heart is not right. You cannot be in communion with me while you harbor that resentment. And you know, the thing about this issue about 
lack of forgiveness is that we can walk around uh, hiding it. You know that. You've been hurt by people, and you don't, even, you don't even let people know sometimes how they've hurt you, and yet you harbor the resentments. You have relationships in your life that have soured, and you harbor that resentment. Uh, so many of us have an ongoing sense of bitterness, and we think, well, I'm going to church, and God is forgiving me, and God has forgiven you, but he still wants you to take away that root of bitterness in your life. All right? We have to understand what it means to be saved. God took us in this miserable state that we are in, and he forgave everything that we have ever done. He has forgiven us. You think about your life and where you were, uh, and I told you I don't want you to look at the, my videotape of my life, and you don't want me to look at the videotape of your life. We're all ashamed. There's not one person here that isn't ashamed of where we were before God saved us. But it was in that shame that led us to say, God, I need a Savior, and he forgave you. But now we need to go out and forgive those who have hurt us. I don't care if it happened when you were a kid. I don't care if your father did something to you, and now your father's 90 years old. What are you waiting for? Really? I mean, honestly, some of us aren't going to forgive until they put dirt on us. We continue to have that on going spirit of anger and resentment. God is telling us right now, he's telling you here, even in terms of worshiping me, don't think you can come and worshiping me, come and worship me if your, your spirit is not right with me. God can only use you if you are ready to be used by him, meaning, Lord, I have forgiven those who have hurt me, Lord. I have forgotten the pain. And what I'm going to tell you is this. When you begin to get walked down this path and you forgive people, uh, and the way I find that the easiest way to do that is to pray for them, to pray for those who have hurt you, to pray for your enemies. Uh, when you start that process of praying for other people, God takes the resentment away from you. Uh, and here's the other thing. that Many of us have been so embittered by this lack of forgiveness, that it's affected our character. You wonder what kind of husbands you've been or father you've been when deep within your heart you still have this rage? Some of us are rageaholics. Really, we're rageaholics. Do you wonder why you're a rageaholic? I'll tell you why. You're a rageaholic because somewhere deep within your soul, somebody has hurt you, and maybe multiple times, and it just builds and builds and metastasizes. And God is telling us that the only way, the only way we can advance our walk with Jesus to be the kind of Christians we are is to be able to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And don't say, I forgive you, and I still remember. <laughs> when you say, I still remember, you haven't forgiven. You haven't forgiven. What you need to say, I have forgiven you, my friend. I have forgiven you, and I pray for, that God will touch you and restore you. Now, somebody asked me this morning, and which was a good question, and that is, well, when you've forgiven somebody that has done something very bad to you, uh, and do you, do, you, do you have to hang around them? <laughs> like, you have to, you have to invite them over for Christmas dinner? Do they have to be with you for Thanksgiving? I mean, it's a very practical question. And the answer is no, you don't, all right? Forgiveness does not mean that God is demanding that they become part 
of your social circle. In some ways, God may have cut off that, that relationship uh, because God recognizes that that is hindering your, your, your spiritual growth. So don't think, do not think that, that, that because you've forgiven somebody that, that, you, that you have to have them in your social circle. You do not. You do not. But you still have to forgive them. Uh, and so this is important to understand this. While we're here in Matthew, uh, let's look at Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 14. Actually, we're going to start with verse 9. Because uh, God is going to give us uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is going to show us how to pray. And when Jesus shows you how to pray, you better listen. Because he's giving you the template of how we need to pray. And so you see this here in this template. And look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That opening prayer acknowledges the sovereignty of God. God, you are holy. God, you are the creator. God, you created me. I acknowledge your sovereignty in my life. I acknowledge your authority and power in everything. You haven't even begun to ask for anything. All right, you notice, oh God, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that, and you got the laundry list out. It's like you're dealing with Santa Claus. No, you're not dealing with Santa Claus. You're dealing with the creator of the universe, and so as you communicate with him, you acknowledge his sovereignty, his authority, and his greatness. Then you continue, and you say that his will be done in earth the same way as his will is being done in heaven. And that will includes you. You are part of the will of God. And so you say to God, Lord, use me in your will in earth, Lord, the same way your will is being exercised in heaven. What a great prayer this is, the template. That is the template for prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us, and underline this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All right, another translation said, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. Forgiveness in a prime position in the great Lord's prayer. And the prayer is, Lord, Lord, you forgive me in the same way I forgive others who have hurt me. Ooh, do I want to pray like that? Is that something I actually want to articulate? God, you forgive me the way I forgive others? Because here's the story. For a lot of us, that would be bad. That wouldn't be a good prayer for us to make. For a lot of us, that would be a, a, a dark spot. Uh, but what is God saying there? He's not saying this as it relates to salvation. Let me make that clear. This is a prayer not as it relates to salvation. Because nothing that you do, once you accept salvation, is taking you out of the hand of God. You don't earn your way into heaven, and you don't work your way out of heaven once you're saved. So what does it mean? In other words, you don't say to God when you get on the other side, Oh Lord, I forgave everybody. 
so I know you'll forgive me. Wrong answer. You're not going to heaven because you forgave everybody. You're going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for you. That's the only reason you're going to heaven, all right? Because the mercy of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So this act of forgiveness does not relate to the forgiveness that you got in salvation, but it relates to the forgiveness that you get on day two of the rest of your life. The discipleship, the washing of the feet, the act of sanctification. Lord, I am asking you, Father, to forgive me every day, Lord, and help me and teach me so that I remain in communion with you. That's what it is. It is the act of saying to God, help me to stay in communion with you. And the act of being in communion with you in intimacy is me forgiving others and you forgiving me as I've done this. You're washing me. And it is that ongoing act of forgiveness. You forgiving those who have hurt you. God washing that that part away from you that keeps you in communion with God. You want to be used by God? You want to be used in ministry? Here it is. He's laying it out for you. Uh, and so you see it. And so look at, look at verse 14 in that same passage. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's not about salvation. It's about day two and the ongoing establishment of intimacy with God. And you saying to God, Lord, make me mindful of forgiveness. Make me be aware of a lack of forgiveness. Make me be aware of a lack of love. And so uh, this is emphasizing the importance of restoring broken relationships with our brothers and sisters. Jesus states that asking for God's forgiveness for one's own sins, while all the same while withholding forgiveness from someone else is hypocritical. You're a hypocrite. Oh, you're asking God to wash you and forgive you and to establish you and plug you in to an ongoing relationship as a disciple, but whoa, no, no. You still harbor a giant-sized amount of resentment and anger and lack of forgiveness. Why would God use you? Think about it. Why would God use you? Are you going to be the poster child for what it means to be a Christian with that kind of a spirit? I'm sorry to have to talk to you like this. I mean, but this is the, this is the way it is. There's so many of us who are stuck on day two and have not advanced one iota in our spiritual life. And part of it is, is this, this lack of forgiveness, this undiffused anger. Some of us can't even, we don't even know why we're angry. Why are you angry, brother? I had a hard life. Okay, you're in Naples, Florida. When do you forget that you came out of New Jersey? Is the New Jersey John always there, or is there a point where you cut it? And you're not there. You're, you have an undiffused amount of anger. You're saved. Yeah, that's right. You're saved. God took your wretched body and he saved you from eternity 
and he put you in a place where you will be with Jesus. Why? Because of the love of God and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. How can you be angry? How can you be angry when you're saved? Because we don't focus on this. We get stuck with the myopia of our, of our lives. And this perceived hurt, and that perceived hurt, and this person doesn't respect me, and that person doesn't respect me. And so what happens? We build up a wall of resentment and anger, and then it builds into rage and bitterness, and then we don't forgive. Look, Part of understanding the issue of forgiveness is learning to forgive yourself. Did you hear what I just said? Learning to forgive yourself. A lot of us are walking around remembering the lives we lived before we committed ourselves to Jesus. Friend, that person is dead. That's dead. God has freed that person. That sin is as far from the east as from the west. God, who knows everything, has forgotten that part of your life. You need to forgive yourself. You want to be a triumphant Christian? The first thing you have to do is say, Lord, you have forgiven me, Lord. Please allow me to walk with you and to forget that past, to forgive myself. Look, God has forgiven you, and if God has forgiven you, the slate is clean. Now, if you haven't come to terms with God and you haven't committed yourself to God and you don't feel that way, then you need to step up. We need to pray for you and we, and we need to see you make a, a, a step of faith for salvation. But if you've already done that, God has forgiven you. So now forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. And as you forgive yourself, you go back in time and think about the pain that you have. Your father hurt you. Your father wasn't supportive. Your father never told you he loved you. I know, I've heard. He never told you he loved you. He just took care of you and gave you everything that you needed. He, he wasn't the kind of a guy that would hug you, all right? He didn't articulate, I love you, Joey, all right? Because he grew up that way. He didn't have the background of doing that. But here's the bottom line. You gotta forgive your father, all right? You gotta forgive your father. Or you came out of a dysfunctional family or you're the child of a divorce. Look, your own people were, were in pain. Your mother and father were in pain. And so, yes, you suffered pain, but look where God brought you. Look what God gave you. Look at, the, look at the salvation that he gave you. All right? Forget about it and forgive them. Your children have disappointed you. I understand. They're not what you want them to be. They're not doing what you want them to be. You had given them everything that, you, that they needed, and yet somehow they've fallen off the track. And it hurts. And it hurts. Let me tell you, friend. You want to do something for your children? You love them. You forgive them. You pray for them. My dad used to say, and I think it's so true, many of us need to remember to speak less to our children about God and more to God about our children. Because some of us have hammered it home. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're in you're a bad person. You're violating all kinds of commandments instead of recognizing that, that God has given us these children to nurture and to love and to bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ and to love them. Yes, we believe in correction. 
Yes, we let people know when they're outside the will of God, but that doesn't mean that, that you're the person who's the judge. You're not the judge. Only God is the judge. And so what happens? This, as a result of this, we have this ongoing spirit of resentment. Uh, and this is, so, this is so profound. Look, I, 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 I know that God has given me this message today because some of you are in desperate need to hear it. You have been Christians your whole life, and yet you have never come to terms with this issue. Never come to terms with this issue. Because this is a day two issue. This is a day two issue. Uh, so we want to be used by God. One of the things that you see in the life of David is that David always forgave. He forgave even when he committed that horrible sin with Bathsheba. And, and he wound up murdering Uriah the Hittite. Uh, and when Nathan the prophet came to him and gave him that, that metaphor of the, the rich man, the rich man who had a thousand sheep, but, but his neighbor had one sheep, just one little lamb, and it was a pet. Uh, and the rich man needed to have a, a, a feast, and he went to the neighbor's house, and he took the one lamb, and he slaughtered it. And David, even before Nathan got through with the story, was outraged. He should be punished. And Nathan the prophet took his bony finger and put it into the chest of the king and said, you are that man. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. I am that man. I am that man. You didn't see the spirit of resentment and anger towards Nathan. Get this man out of my presence. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to hear what he has to say. And said, David was brokenhearted. He was brokenhearted, and he forgave. He forgave the prophet for telling him the truth. He understood this is what God has said to him. And so, so many of us are walking around, walking around uh, with, with, this, with this anchor in our lives, and we wonder why God is not using me. I don't get it, God. I want to be used by you. And yet God says, I can't communicate with you. I know you're saved, but you got to take this issue this is something you have to do. You have to address this yourself. And so an unforgiving spirit is a serious sin and should be confessed to God. Uh, if we have unforgiveness in our hearts against someone else, then we are acting in a way that is not pleasing to God, making our prayers and a proper living relationship with him nearly impossible. Did you hear what I just said? If you have this spirit, in your heart, you are making the fact of having a relationship with God in intimacy the way that he wants nearly impossible. This includes answering your prayers. All of this because you have decided to continue to dwell uh, on this issue of unforgiveness. Now, Matthew 6 does not relate to our eternal destiny. That's, that's all covered by salvation uh, and God has forgiven you at the moment that you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. With all your baggage, with all of your warts, he's forgiven you, and he saved you forever. He saved you forever. But now, now the question is, he demands a higher call. He tells you to take up your cross, give up your life, 
abide with me, follow me. And you're finding that you don't have that intimacy with him on a daily basis. And I submit to you that the reason that you don't have this intimacy is because you still have this cancer in your life. And this is something that only you can do. And I say to you that one of the things that you need to do today is to ask God for the grace and mercy to forgive those who have hurt you. Lord, please, Father, give me the grace. And the only way that you can do that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to ask God to help you to pray for them. When you're praying for somebody that has hurt you, you're asking God to restore those people to let them understand how they should live their lives. God will will answer that prayer, but as he does that, he will take the bitterness and rage out of our lives. And you know that our standing before God is established at the time that we are saved. Uh, And I have a couple verses that I want to give to you just to support that. Look at the epistle of John. 1 John, 1 John right before Revelation, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He has forgiven you all of your sins. When you, when you came to him, he washed the slate free. That's why you need to forgive yourself. While you're in 1 John Look at chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How about that? Since God loved us, since he saved you, since he gave you the example of why he he gave you eternal life, then you need to keep that example alive in your life. And you need to say, I forgive you. If somebody has hurt you, I forgive you. I'm praying for you. I want to give you the love that God has given me. This is important to understand that. We have been saved not by any act of righteousness, but totally by the act of mercy of Jesus Christ. And so since God has forgiven our sins... Since you are saved forever, now the question is, what will you do with that example of the love of God in your life as it relates to other people? Do you find yourself, are you the kind of person that finds out that if somebody does something a little bit off-key to you, that you suddenly rage? Are you a rageaholic? I know, it's hard to believe, oh, I'm saved, John. I, I couldn't, possibly, couldn't possibly be a rage. Really? I know a lot of Christians they're frankly still are rageaholics, all right? Uh, and I have to confess that I myself find myself that way at times, all right? I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. And I ask God to wash me of that, to take that away from me. Don't let me be that way, Lord. I don't want to be that way, all right? Uh, and convict me. I find, re- actually, I find them these last several years that if I've acted that way towards someone, almost immediately, almost immediately I'm convicted. And I, and I go and I apologize. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Uh, and and uh, 
you know, I told you a story about five or six years ago that I was in court and I saw this other, other uh, uh, person mistreating elderly people in court on the stand, abusing them, mocking them, mocking them. And so when it came time uh, for me to present my case, I was representing a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I had walked up to this uh, consultant's lawyer and I said, look, I'm, you know, I know the president of your company. I'd like to set, settle this case. Uh, and this guy turns around, and he was a young man, you know, a punk, really. <laughs> I'll say it. He was a punk. And he says to me, and it's about five years ago, I'm not afraid of you. Ooh. You're not afraid of me. So immediately, you understand all those issues in my life come percolating to the front. You understand? You know, you didn't get into a certain school. You didn't get into a certain club. You didn't get respected the way you should. You understand. We're, we're, we're men, all right? And all of a sudden, and the anger is building up. And so uh, I leaned over to him, and I said, and I'm ashamed to say it. I have to kind of edit what I actually said. <laughs> but in a quiet voice, I said, if you get up and speak, after I present my case, I'm going to rip out your windpipe. Didn't say a word. Put my case on, and this was a guy who was opining, oh, beating up these old people miserably. So after I, my case was presented, the judge turns to him and says, uh, Mr. Jones, do you, have, you want to put comments in about what Mr. Gripper just said? And Nope. Do <laughs> you have anything to add? No. But I don't understand it. You've been speaking all day about these other little cases, all right, these other old people. But he's got the biggest case on the calendar, this major 500-room hotel. You don't have anything to say? No. All right. All right. So we, we'll reserve decision. So I was convicted. I was convicted, all right? Even in that short time, I was convicted. So I went up, I went up to him afterwards, and I... I put my hand out and I said, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I, if I said anything that was out of line. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to be mean-spirited. And he put his hands flat down on his side and would not shake my hands. He goes like this. Just like this, like a soldier. And the judge sees it. He goes, Mr. Jones, sir, that is an outrageous act. Mr. Garippa, just reach out to you in kindness in kindness and wanted to shake your hand. And you have rejected him. I am appalled. And his lawyer goes, well, judge, you didn't see what Mr. Garippa said to him before he went up on the stand. And I just said, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so what's the point of this story? The point of his story is this, even as saved men we have issues every day of our lives. Can I get an amen? You understand? I'm not up here giving myself as the paragon of virtue. Oh, please. I know what issues I have in my life, but I have learned to understand the issue of forgiveness. You must forgive. That includes your wife, all right? And some of us have, you know, we're married for many, many years, and, and in some cases now, our wife doesn't even have to say something to us. You understand what I'm talking about. It's a nuanced look. You got that? Nuanced look. You come home with some new outfit or 
a shirt. How do I look, hon? And you just get that look. The word doesn't even have to come out. It's just a look like you look like a, you look ridiculous. All right, but they don't say it. They don't have to say it. The word, the nuances come out, and you go, oh, and the anger builds up. You understand? The anger builds up. And so even in these, these relationships that we have with our wives, you have to learn to forgive. And if you've said a word that's out of line, and you've done something that mean-spirited, stop. Stop and say, honey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You know how I fly off the handle? I fly off the handle and I say things I don't mean to say. You need to say this. You need to have this kind of, of life going on. And so th this is important to understand. I want you to look at how Jesus, how Jesus looked at this issue of ongoing forgiveness. Look at John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. Now, this is a famous passage where Peter, where, where Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to wash them. Uh, and so, uh, in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. I will not allow you. You are the son of God. I will not allow you. And then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What does that mean? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. It means this. He's saved, folks. He's speaking to Peter. All right? He's saved. But unless he allows Jesus to wash his feet, take the daily grime of sin and error, and unforgiveness, and bitterness away from him, you will have no part with me. Meaning what? What is the translation, you will have no part with me? It means you will not have the intimacy with me, the connection with me, the communication with me, because you have put this obstacle between me and you. And it can only be taken care of when I wash your feet in this daily act of sanctification. Uh, and and the, then, the Lord, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You love Peter. Okay, all right. Then if I need to have my feet washed, wash everything. Do it a good job. Wash it all, Jesus. He just, he just didn't get it. You gotta love him. He didn't get it, but he will get it. He will get it. Uh, and then Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. You are already clean. What does it mean? You're saved. I'm preaching to save men. You understand? Saved men. You're going to heaven. You're going to be with Jesus. He has saved you, day one. But now it's day two, all right? And you got grime on you. You're living in a bad world. This is Satan's home. Dirt and, and, and grime come up on you. And you have bitterness in your heart. There are things in your heart you've not forgiven people. And so you say, Lord, wash my feet, Father. Forgive me for what I'm doing Help me, God, to take this sin out of my life. Help me, Lord, to forgive those who have hurt me. Forgive those who have hurt me. I am not denying that you have been hurt. 
But I'm saying to you, within that ambit, understanding that you've been hurt, look at the greater picture. You are saved forever. God has forgiven every sin that you've committed. He's put you on the path for eternal life. And now look what he asks from you. What does he ask from you? He says that just as I have forgiven you, you forgive yourself and forgive others. Be mindful of this in your daily walk. And as you do this, have intimacy with me because you cannot have your prayers answered. You can't have that triumphant Christian walk unless you are in intimacy with me, communicating with me so that I can give you my will. Go and leave your gift. Leave your gift and go out and make it right. May we say today, Lord, let that be the image that I will do today. I want every one of you to promise between you and God, not me, that you will address this issue in your life, that not another day will go by when you let this continue in your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words you've given us. Lord, I thank you for this lesson. Lord, we stand humbled when we realize how important this issue is of forgiveness. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for the intimacy that you've given us. But now, Lord, we want to walk with you. It's day two. We want to be with you. We want to have this triumphant walk. We want to be used by you. And so, Lord, we understand in order to do this, we have to clean out the closets of our life. And so, Lord, I ask you that you you give us the ability to recognize these shortcomings in our lives. We are not perfect, but, Lord, we ask you to help us in every way. Draw us to the cross and give us the picture of Jesus in our life. Protect our men. Be with them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 God bless you.